Welcome to the King's Chapel Podcast. You are about to hear another inspirational message from our lead pastor, Matt Schmidley. It's our prayer that this message will be a blessing and encouragement to your life. Before we get into the scriptures today, I do want to mention one thing. Some of you may have noticed that uh, over the last few weeks or month or two, maybe, uh, we've been do- doing more recording um, of the message uh, on Facebook Live, and we've got a invested some money in a, a camera um, to record the message. And, and those are a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of the reasons is is to provide a, uh, a window into our church for people who are who are looking at King's Chapel going online. This is what, what we do now, most of us in the digital age. Um, if we're looking for a church or looking for somewhere, we're probably going to go on and, and check out them out uh, online before we actually walk in uh, physically into the building. And so we wanted to make some opportunities for uh, to give our, our community a window into our church. Um, but maybe even more than that, we, we recognize there was a need because so many of you uh, serve in kids' ministry uh, on a regular basis and are missing the service um, on Sunday. And so we wanted to make sure and, and make an opportunity, though it's not the same as being in here. We all know that. Uh, but those who, who invest in our kids... Uh, if you want to, after the service, on, later on in the week, you can go on. You can see the service. You can hear the message. All of that stuff. So if you'll indulge me before we get to the scripture, I'm going to look at that camera, and I'm going to say thank you to uh, all those who are serving in kids' ministry today. Um, if you're watching, we really appreciate uh, your ministry um, today. and am glad that you caught us on the video. So just wanted to say thanks to them. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, we've been uh, going through the book of Matthew, verse by verse. Um, We are now in uh, chapter 10 in a section where Jesus is speaking to his disciples before sending them out into the harvest. He's giving them instructions on on what to do. And so we're going to pick up in that today. If you've been watching the news lately, you should be depressed. Um, For a lot of reasons. Um... But for me, the reason that I am maybe the most discouraged or more discouraged by the news now than I have been in a long time um, is all of the reports, and, and we don't know which ones are true, which ones are not, but there are enough of them to know that as a country over the last few decades, continuing on to this present day, we have had a problem with sexual harassment and sexual assault. Especially men to women, especially superiors to those that are under them. It's been, it's been a problem. And yes, we don't know which ones are true and which ones are not, so I'm not going to put everybody in the category of guilty. But what really struck me as, as you hear some of these accounts and some of these reports, and maybe I've just <laughs> grown up in two of, too sheltered of a life, it never even occurred to me that men could behave like, that way. As a man, it was, it was heartbreaking to hear the way that men could treat women, to hear the way that, that a boss could treat their employee or a volunteer or somebody that they had come in contact with. It was just, I, I couldn't imagine that ever happening. And it's, it's evil. It's wrong. It's sinful. There, there are no excuses for it. There are no excuses to be made for it. There's, there's no justification for it. It is wrong. 
It's hurtful. It's destructive. And that's the problem that we find with not just this issue of sexual harassment and sexual assault, but just human nature in general. We are, as a race of fallen people who can deeply wound one another. For good reasons and for bad reasons, and usually there aren't very good, good reasons. But we can deeply wound one another with our words, with our actions, with our hands, with our militaries, with our all of these things. We can deeply hurt other people. We can hear a message that we don't like and reject someone because of it. And this is what Jesus is telling his disciples is going to happen. As they go out and they preach this message... Yes, some will receive it, and some, of, some people will respond in this dark, fallen, sinful place that fallen humanity is in by hurting and mistreating other people. As we saw last week, Jesus was telling them that they would go into cities and be drugged before the authorities. They would be flogged. They would be mistreated. They, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. They would be, they would be uh, mistreated by their own family members. All these things on and on. Jesus said, this is all what we saw last week. He said, don't be surprised at this when this happens. When you go out into the harvest and you're mistreated. Why? Because they called me Satan. What are they going to call you? They called the, the prince, they, they called the, the master Beelzebul. They called him the prince of demons. And if they, Jesus said, if they call me that, don't expect for when you go out there that everybody's going to welcome you with open arms and say, oh, what a wonderful message. Let's pat you on the back. There will be people who will respond to our message in the harvest in a positive way. They'll receive Jesus. They'll come and they'll repent and their lives will be changed. But we should not be people who are surprised when not everybody accepts the message. In fact... We should not be surprised when some are actually openly hostile to the message. And so just to pick up a little bit of context, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to pick up our, our sermon. We'll start in verse 26, but let's just read from 24. It may not be on the screen. Jesus said, The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now verse 26. So, have no fear of them. That's a strange statement, isn't it? When you think about it, Jesus said, you're going to go out, you're going to be maligned for your message. There, people are going to hate you because of it. And when they do, don't fear now, I'm going to read through these next several verses. We're going to go back then and walk through them more one by one. But I want us to get the big picture, and I want you to notice every time Jesus mentions the phrase or the word fear. Verse 26, So have no fear of them, for nothing that is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear, this is the second do not fear statement, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? 
But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not. Here's the third fear statement. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So let's walk through these three fear not statements. Because if you think about it, if you just put it in, in human terms, if I were to tell you, which I've told you last week and I'm going to tell you this week, that when we do the work of the harvester, when we go out into our harvest field, that there will be some who will receive and there will be some who will reject and there will be some who will not just reject, but who will malign and criticize and hurt you for your testimony. And the word of Jesus is this, don't be afraid of them. Because that's what our, our flesh would do, right? I hope this person isn't the person who hates me because of my testimony. I hope this person doesn't reject me because of my testimony. Now, this is, this is, and for, if you remember back maybe when you shared your faith for the very first time, maybe fear for you was the primary emotion, and your palms sweat, and you get, I mean, it's just, it, it's fearful. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of them for, and I want you to catch this, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Why should we not fear those who oppose the message of Christ? Because the day will come when it will all come to light. The day will come when it will all be exposed. When the kingdom of this world will give way to the kingdom of Christ. And that those who mistreated a believer because they were a believer, the truth will be made known. The truth will be made known of vindicating the believer. Nothing will be hidden that it will not be revealed. And you look here, and to bring it back to our, our contemporary time, have you noticed that many of these accusations that have been coming out happened 10, 20, 30 plus years ago? Now, we're not going to talk about the political or potential political reasons for that. But let's look at it from the perspective of, of any of these who are guilty. I would imagine that in the hearts of these men, that as the days turn into months, the months turn into years, the years turn into decades, you begin to think to yourself, this is all behind me. I've got away with it. Nobody's ever going to know. If they were going to speak up, they would have spoken up by now. If they were going to press charges, they would have pressed them by now. Here I am. I am safe and secure. And now, for some of these men, at the most inopportune times, the truth is coming forward. There's light shining on the darkness. Things are being exposed that people thought were years buried and hidden. And those of us who are believers, when we do the work of the harvest, and somebody maligns us or mistreats us or rejects us because of our, our allegiance to Jesus and our testimony about Him, the day will come when that truth will come to light. 
the, the day will come when the truth will be that that was unjust, that that was unfair, that Jesus is Lord and he is king and that his, his people from the apostles all the way until our day were mistreated for unjust reasons. You follow church history and, and it was amazing some of the things that, that the pagan world would come up with against the believers. And, and one of those had to do with, with uh, the nature of communion. Um, they, they would hear this word of that, that these believers gather to eat the flesh and drink the blood of somebody, some dead Messiah or something. And so they begin to it would, read the church history accounts, and reports would spread that this was a cannibalistic cult, e actually literally eating flesh and drinking blood, and that's why they gathered together in homes and, and kept secret. Some even speculated watching... And this is where it kind of hits home. Watching the charity of the believers in especially bringing in abandoned babies and caring for them and, and, and raising them, taking care of them, the, the pagan outsiders would look at that and say, well, that must be who they're eating. They must be gathering these babies for their cannibalistic cult. It's just sick. But this was the nature of the church. This was the nature of their mistreatment. They were called cannibals. They were called all kinds of, of evil and vile names because they believed in the name of Jesus. And today you can find, you can read through your newspaper or find articles or, or just keep your eye out. You can find when Christians do things that are honorable and admirable and, and are criticized for it. Jesus says this, don't be afraid. The day will come when it will all be brought to light. The day will come when the truth will be made plain. And there are times that for us when we're believers, when we're like, I just wish the truth would come out on this. I just, I just wish people would know what the truth of this is. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of these people. The day will come when the truth will win. The day will come when the truth will be made known and it will be made manifest. So we don't fear those who malign us in our work in the harvest. When we do our work of the harvest in, in a righteous manner, not doing it as jerks, we saw that last week. When we do so in, in the right manner, we're not afraid of mistreatment because one day, one day the truth will come. Verse 28. Here's the second do not fear statement. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. The second reason that we're not afraid of, of those who mistreat believers because of their testimony is because they can't ultimately harm you. As I was doing some study for this, one quote that I came across is, the worst thing they can do is kill you. That's supposed to be kind of funny um, when you think about it. The worst thing that somebody can do is kill you. And you hear that and you think, well, that sounds pretty bad to me. And Jesus says, don't fear the one who can only kill the body. What you should be concerned about is your soul. We saw last week... Those who endure to the end will be saved. Saved. Those who shrink back from the calling. Those who, who reject Jesus. Those who
those who maybe step out in faith and start to do the work of the harvest and then eventually turn their back and say, that's, you know, I, I changed my mind, that's not for me. Jesus is saying you are in grave danger because they can kill the body, but the soul could end up in hell if you don't endure to the end. And so the worst thing that somebody can do who mistreats a believer, the worst thing that can happen is that they can kill you. But better... If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We saw this in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't we? It's better to enter the kingdom with one hand than to enter hell able-bodied. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Jesus says, don't be afraid of these people. The worst thing they can do is harm the physical. And the physical is temporary. The soul is eternal. The words of Jesus, as we have been walking through this, you may have noticed this. The words of Jesus that we've seen are not, they're hard, but not hard in, in the way that we understand them sometimes. Sometimes when you read a scripture that's hard, it's because it's difficult to understand. It's because you're like, I'm just having a hard time wrapping my, my mind about, you know, what Paul is saying here. The words of Jesus here are hard, but in a different way, aren't they? They're very straightforward. They're very clear. You don't even really need me to stand up here and explain it to you. They're hard in what they mean for us. They're hard in that Jesus says, don't be afraid. The worst they can do is kill you. The worst they can do is take your life. The worst thing they can do, but they can't touch your soul. They have no authority over your eternity. They have no authority over that. Better for us to give our lives for Jesus, our actual physical lives for Him, than to turn away in the midst of opposition or persecution and end up eternally separated from God. This life is just a vapor. It's just a blink. It lasts for just a little while. Don't be, don't be afraid of the person who can steal that half of a blink from you or that quarter of a blink from you. Let's keep our eyes on eternity. Not be afraid, because the worst they can do is attack our body. That's what Jesus says, fear not. Verse 29 is kind of the setup for the last of the fear not statements. But are not two, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. So, what's going on so far? Jesus is dealing with minute details of life. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Um, you know, you can't, you, a dime a dozen is what we would say. These sparrows are a dime a dozen. You can just go out. If you lose one, you can, you can get another one. We have all kinds of things. We live in a, a throwaway culture. Here today, gone tomorrow. Um, you know, I got a coffee earlier. Got the coffee cup. Got it. Drank my coffee. Threw it in the trash. It's gone. Jesus says, it's two sparrows. They're, just, they're sold for a penny. They're just they're here and they're gone. But if you ask God, how many coffee cups do we have out here? He could tell you. He would know. He knows all the details. Even though for us, it's just kind of like, you know, we, we got a stack. Um, even the people in charge of the coffee wouldn't know how many coffee, little paper coffee cups we have. But God would know. God knows the details. Even the hairs on your head are numbered. One, two, three, four. 
God is a God of the details. He pays attention. If you read the the book of Job, you get to the end of the story, and, and, and Job, when God answers Job at the end of the account, God doesn't tell Job why he suffered. God just begins to lay out all of the things that God does in caring for the universe. Job, have you, have you seen the mountain goat give birth? Do you, know, do you know when that happens? Do you know where all the snow comes from, Job? Do you know? And he begins to list all these things that God does in superintending creation. And then basically says to Job, you don't know what you're talking about. And Job says, uh-huh. And flips his hand over his mouth. That's the story. That's how Job ends. And so Jesus, Jesus is pulling into that theme here. That God knows every single little detail of his creation. Down to every sparrow and every hair. Verse 31. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than sparrows. We don't fear those who look to mistreat people because of their testimony, because of their work in the harvest. Because God is watching over every single detail of your life. And there is nothing that He misses. Every, every mistreatment, every unkind word, every simple things like a roll of the eyes or, or a little conversation in private after you shared your faith with somebody that two people run off and have and they talk about you. Every single little detail of this world, God notices. He picks up on. And if we step into the work of the harvester and do the work of the harvest and people respond and we praise God for that and other people reject because of that, we don't walk away saying, well, God doesn't care. God doesn't know. God didn't, he didn't see that. He didn't see what I just went through. Jesus said, <laughs> he knows how many sparrows there are. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Don't be afraid of them. You're so much more valuable than sparrows. God is keeping up with you. He's watching. He knows what just happened. He knows how you're feeling right now because of what just happened. He knows if you're... If you are just rejected or mistreated, he knows if you're in danger. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. And so we don't fear, we don't fear people who reject the Christian message and reject us because God knows exactly what's happened. So Jesus, if you've noticed, he's given three fear not statements. First of all, don't fear them because everything that's happened is going to be made public. Don't fear them because the worst they can do is harm you physically. Don't fear them because God's watching. He's seeing. He's noticing. He's accounting. He is a good God. And He is on top of this. Verse 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. 
So Jesus is picking up, as we saw last week, on this theme of, of endurance. And, and he had told them, if you go to a town and you are rejected, could you imagine that? Being rejected wholesale by an entire city. You come in with a message of Jesus. Jesus said, all authority, I've, I've given you authority to go and to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to, and to cast out demons and go into these towns and these cities. And you go in full of boldness. And you go in with the authority of Jesus and they say, get out. They run you out of town. You talk about rejection. And Jesus says, when that happens, remember this, that this whole city may reject you. I acknowledge you before my Father. I accept you before my Father. I say to my Father, see, see that one that 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people just rejected? So what Jesus says to the Father. See, that? that's one of mine. That's one of mine. That's one of my servants. That's one of my friends. That's, that's, that's somebody doing the work of the harvest for me. You, you, get a, you acknowledge me before men? Even sometimes to your own detriment, you acknowledge me before then? Jesus says, I will acknowledge you before my Father. But if we don't, if we shrink back, if we say it's not worth it, if we say, I never knew the man... Jesus says, I will not acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. These are not, you know, if you, if you can find churches around town who, you know, are around the place who preach to felt needs and make you smile and laugh. And, and there are times that that's good and there are times that that's helpful. And there are times that it's difficult to stand up and proclaim a word like this. Because everybody wants to say, go out, you know, the harvest is ready, go out and get them. And that's true, they are, the harvest is ready. But if you don't have the truth that not everyone will accept, you'll become discouraged, you'll give up. We need to look ourselves in the mirror and look at the text of Scripture and say, you know what, it is normal. It is normal for people to reject the message of Jesus. But I'm on his side anyway. It's normal for people to reject the message of Jesus, but I'm not going to reject him. Though none go with me, still I will follow. If my whole community, if my whole workplace, if my whole family rejects him, I will not. And he will speak my name before the Father. And I will not give up. And I will have the courage to stand. I will have the courage to speak the name of Jesus. I will have the courage to hold on to my testimony. I will not give up. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is going to happen. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Later on he would tell his disciples things like, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that's planted in the garden. And you drop it in there and a little a little shoot, a little green, about the you know, size of a thread pops up. And that's how that's how the work of the harvest began. It was just it was like a mustard seed and you drop it in there and the little sprout sprout comes up. And they said it'll grow and it'll grow and it'll become the biggest tree in the garden. Birds and wildlife can take refuge in it, all from this small seed. And as Jesus is beginning to establish his kingdom here on earth, he's saying, when you go out, don't be afraid, because this thing is going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. Now, he gives one, one more example of 
of this, and there's really not a lot to, to break down from th- verse 34 to 39. Jesus tells them that even their family members of some will reject. Even for some, the name of Jesus will become a contentious issue for them. And it's a weird passage of Scripture when you read it out of context because we all know Jesus is the Prince of Peace and, and you know, peace is, is a good thing. It's what He came to do. And then you read this and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. When you read it in context with this, when He's talking about that not everybody's going to believe and that for some people the name of Jesus will become a divisive issue. It'll divide families because some will accept and some will reject. And, and so... Catching context in context what Jesus is saying. Even if your family rejects you, he who endures to the end will be saved. Don't give up the gospel. Don't give up Jesus, even for your family. We live in a culture sometimes where among some family is almost worshipped. It becomes the thing. Family at all costs. And Jesus says. For some of you, following me is going to cost you not just rejection at the city and you shake your feet, the dust off your feet and you go on to the next one. Some, my name will become a point of division in your family. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Let's read it. Do not think that I have come, pe- come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. You probably won't find that on any of your Christmas cards this year. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother-in-law, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Why? It's not because somebody's a jerk or mean or or is all of these things. It's not that. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross... And follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We hold on to the message of Jesus. We move forward in the work of the harvest. The the beginning, if you remember, if you were here... All of this started with Jesus saying, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest. And Jesus says, When you do that, when you do that, some will receive and some will reject. And for some, you may even have to put me above your family and your friends. But whoever endures to the end will be saved if it costs us our relationships with our family we must hold on to Jesus if it costs us our relationship with our best friends we must hold on to Jesus if it costs us our job we must hold on to our testimony If it costs us financially, we must hold on to our testimony. One thing that was interesting, I'll just say, out 
of this, this whole last couple of weeks of allegations that have been coming out in the news. My mind went back to a year or so, a little over a year ago now. You may have noticed when uh, the so-called, so-called Mike Pence rule became a thing. Do you remember that? Um, if you don't know what that means, Mike Pence, the vice president, as he was a candidate, it became known that, that, that he would not meet with members of the opposite sex alone. And the media and, the, and many in the culture just ripped him for it. And now you look at it and you say, wow, a man of high position who respects women. wants to do right by them. And some people can agree or disagree with, with the Mike Pence rule in itself. But you look at it and you say, well, someone did for their honor and for their integrity got maligned publicly. And now things that were concealed are becoming made known. We have to hold on to our testimony. Even if it costs us. Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. We are, and hopefully you are, engaged in the work of the harvest. Praying that God would send out workers into his harvest. You may have noticed when you came in a card, and I would encourage you to pick up one of these or two of these or a handful. And this is just this is a very simple card. Just says, we want to see you. Sundays, 9.45, children's services are provided. King's Chapel, it's got the name of here. We want to put this in your hand for a couple of reasons. Number one, you never know who God's going to speak to your heart to invite to come here. I encourage you to be both actively sharing your faith with people, personally, your own, and inviting people to come and to be a part of, of a community. We're entering the Christmas season when people are ready for an invitation because it is the culturally appropriate thing to do. Even if they're not a believer, they know, well, you know, you just you go to church at Christmas. You just, you just go. It's just what you do. And so we've got the Christmas service on the 3rd. We'll be having our Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year. So we'll be having a good... Our regular Sunday service will be like a Christmas Eve service. But also anytime in December, people, the harvest is ready. People are ready. This time of year, around Christmas, around Easter, people are more receptive to the gospel. And so we're going to pray together. We intentionally have left some time because Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. We're going to pray that he does that. I'm going to ask you also to pray in just a moment. Maybe God lays someone on your heart. I'd like for you to do two things. Pray for one person, at least, that God lays on your heart. That you could share your faith with or invite to King's Chapel during this Christmas season. Then I would also like for you to pray that God would begin to prepare you and someone else, someone you don't know or someone you're not thinking of now, that in the moment, you would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying, Share your testimony with them. Invite them. Somebody that you wouldn't have thought about. Maybe it's somebody you don't even know at this point. But to prepare our hearts for the harvest.
Let's stand together and let's pray. I'm going to lead us in, in a prayer. And as I do, I'm going to ask those of you that will, we left intentionally left some time, to come around the front. You can kneel, you can sit. And to pray for people who are far from God. Pray for people who don't know Him. Pray for people by name. Pray for people that you don't know. Pray for people that are far from God. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into His harvest. And we're going to spend some time praying together, and I'll come back up in, in a few minutes, and and we'll conclude us. But I would encourage as many as that will, to, as, as I lead us, to come. If, if you're not comfortable with that, you're welcome to stay where you are. But as I pray, would you come? Father, pray, Lord of the harvest, first of all, let us be workers in your harvest. Send us out. Send us out. And Lord, as we pray for family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, strangers, prepare their hearts to come and find you this Christmas season.
Sunday. We'll see you next week.